0: Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate by the the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow them because they know his voice, because they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Good Shepherd. We thank you for Jesus. And though we look for shepherds in so many other people and so many other things, draw us back this morning or draw us for the very first time to Jesus as the Good Shepherd, the one who cares for his sheep because they belong to him, because they are his. Lord, let us hear and respond to the shepherd's voice this morning. Let it resonate with something deep in our soul. And Father, let us walk in safety in the pasture that you have provided. And Father, we pray in the name of the good shepherd, in Jesus Christ, amen. We're gonna look at just two things quickly in this passage, two questions. What is this image, this image of sheep and shepherd? What does this image tell us about ourselves? And then what does this image tell us about Jesus. So first of all, what does it tell us about ourselves? Now, follow me very carefully here. Jesus is being very, very tricky. If he's the shepherd, what does that make us, right? It makes us sheep. We're sheep if he is the shepherd. Now, you may have heard a sermon on this before where the pastor says, now, what he's saying is that sheep are dumb, but sheep are not dumb. They're not very smart, but they're not dumb. They're not any dumber than any other domesticated animal. But when was the last time you saw a wild sheep? There's wild horses, there's wild cats, there's wild dogs, there's wild pigs, but there are no wild sheep. Why is that? It's because they die. If they get out of the sheep pen, they're helpless, they're vulnerable. There are no wild sheep, at least not for very long, because they wander around and starve, or they eat a poisonous root, or they get devoured by another wild animal. The point that Jesus is making here is not that the sheep are dumb, it's that they're helpless. They're vulnerable in the world. They are fully at the mercy of the shepherd's protection because if they're left alone, they'll die. They won't thrive. They'll make a mess of their lives. Now, you may have be acquainted with this family at InTown. This happened a, a number of months ago, but we had a mom who was pushing her stroller across a uh, cross street in uh, our crosswalk in North Portland, and she did everything right. She was following all traffic laws, and as she walks out into the street with her stroller, this car comes quickly and turns right and doesn't look and doesn't see uh, the stroller and hits it. Now, fortunately, it didn't hit it broadside but it just clipped it, and clipped it enough to where it knocked the stroller over and bent it, and the kids are banging around in there. And as it turns out, they were okay. It was a rough ride, and they were, you know, bruised, but they survived and were healthy and fine. But what does this guy do? Instead of stopping and making sure everything is okay, I mean, he would have been quite embarrassed, right, regardless of the fact that the kids are okay. You have to stop, and you have to say, I'm so sorry, what can I do, can I help? Instead, after clipping it, he speeds off. Now, fortunately, there was a nearby guy that had a bike. And this is a very Portland hero story, right? <laughs> and he, he pedals after the car and catches up to it and gets the license tag. And so a few hours later, a few I'm not sure how long, but the cops show up at this guy's door or the house that they think is his door. But it's actually his father. Because his father owns the car that this guy is driving. And so imagine that. This, your son is driving a car. He hits someone and speeds off. I don't imagine that he had a very good day or a very good week after his father found that out. Now, what's the best thing to do there? You make a mistake. You stop. And you apologize. You make sure everything is okay. You exchange insurance cards just in case. But this guy stupidly compounds his mistake he 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 uh, maximizes all of the problems and we do this too right we do this frequently maybe not quite so dumb but we mess up our lives more more we compound the things that are going on we encounter some small relational friction between someone that we know and we turn it into trench warfare it becomes the biggest thing that we have encountered all year we get a negative review at work, and it snowba- snowballs into days or maybe even months of self-recrimination, self-loathing, and self-doubt. We don't know what we're going to do now that we've gotten this negative review. Or maybe we carefully polish our external lives so that we look like we've got it all together. And that's what everyone thinks of us. But inside, inside that, uh, that continual maintenance, making sure of, of our public image that it's clean, that it's spotless, it's turning us inside out, it's twisting us. And internally, we're on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Now, Jesus is not trying to insult us here. He's saying, look under the hood of your life. Look behind your ego long enough to see your helplessness and your vulnerability. That we, if we are left alone like a sheep, will mess up our lives. We won't thrive emotionally, socially, and spiritually, but we'll die, and we're vulnerable. Now, Jesus is not only telling us that he is the shepherd and we are the sheep, but he's also telling us that we are apt to follow false shepherds. Notice what the good shepherd is contrasted with in verse 7. Thieves and robbers... Someone that steals something from you, and they will eventually kill and destroy you. And then in verse 12, the good shepherd is contrasted with the hired hand. This is the shepherd that makes false promises. I will be there for you. I will protect you, and then runs away and leaves you helpless. Now, maybe we wouldn't say this morning that I've been looking for a shepherd all my life. Maybe that's not how we would describe it. But maybe we've been looking for that one relationship that will lead us into greener pastures. We're waiting on that one person who will make life make sense. We've been looking for that one institution that we can be a part of that will give us meaning, that will give us a sense of stability, that will say good things about us because of our membership there. Or maybe it's a career path or achievement that will provide security. Maybe the shepherd is not another person or it's a thing. It's something that we're seeking, something tangible that we can sink our our teeth, our hands into, and it makes us feel significant. It makes us feel safe. Did you read the quote in the front of the bulletin from Madonna? Not the mother of Jesus, but Madonna, the singer. She says, I have an iron will, and all of my life and all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push back past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting, again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove it that I am, prove that I am somebody. My struggle had never ended. And it probably never will. How honest of her to say that. She's speaking in Vanity Fair magazine for millions of readers, and she is airing her dirty laundry. She is saying, here is my thief. Here is the hired hand for me. Here is the shepherd that I'm hoping will be good to me. But it's not. It's driving me and relentlessly pounding me into the ground and it has driven her to achieve some great things, but she's gotten there, and it's been empty. The shepherd is a hired hand that's promised great things and then left her, and it's made her vulnerable. She knows her thief, her hired hand. What's yours? What are you looking to to be your shepherd? Who's your false shepherd, or what is your false shepherd? What's the carrot that's dangling in front of your life and you're chasing after it, even though you know probably that once you grab it, it's going to discard you and abandon you and leave you? You know to some level, at some level, that it's a false promise, and yet you keep chasing it. What's your thief? What is your false shepherd? Now, maybe alternatively, we would say, Well, I'm cynical enough to see through the promises of those carrots, of those hired hands, those shepherds. I know that there's nothing out there that's going to possibly give me meaning, that's going to give me significance and security, that's going to bring meaning to my life. And in that case, we are the false shepherd. We've become the hired hand in our own lives, making false promises to ourselves, and we're vulnerable to our own limitations, our own finitude. We can't possibly provide for ourselves that what our that our heart longs for at its most honest moments now if jesus what he says here if he is your shepherd instead of these false shepherds instead of these thieves instead of the hired hands if jesus is your shepherd how do you know it it says you will hear his voice you will find your hearts responding to the words of jesus now, if you're a parent here, or maybe you've just been at a play date or been at a park where there's a bunch of parents and a bunch of kids, and there's this din of noisiness, and there's various kids crying for mom or for dad, and all of the parents except for one are standing comfortably by because what? They know their child's cry. They know when they hear mom or dad from their child, they perk up because even though there's a lot of other kids that are playing and making noise, they know their kid's voice. And they can even distinguish between what is a a real cry and what's just an angry cry or a, a fussy cry or a frustrated cry. And sometimes I don't run to our children's cries because I know that it's just kind of a, you know, they're just irritated by something. But a parent can pick up on their child's voice even in the room of dozens of other kids and dozens of other parents. And the children, in the same way, can be on the playground with dozens of other kids, and when they hear their parents' voice, they can distinguish it. They can understand. They can hear that above all of the din and noisiness of the other children. Now, Jesus is saying that those who know him to be their shepherd have this type of relationship with his voice. It's not that you perfectly listen all the time. It's not that you perfectly filter out all of the other competing voices, just like children sometimes can hear what their parents are saying, but they choose not to listen, we do that as well if we're Christians. But we know the voice. We can discern the voice. In a crowded life, we can hear God speaking through Jesus into our lives. And it resonates with us, not perfectly. We don't always perfectly obey it or respond to it, but we hear it. And the point of non- understanding Jesus as the good shepherd is learning to hear, learning to listen for your, vo- for your name being called. Now, you may be asking, why Jesus? With all of the other competing voices, with all of the other alternate ex- explanations of reality and, and final destiny and so forth, why Jesus? Why does he get to be the good shepherd? Why is he the one? And so we've looked at what does this image, this sheep and shepherd metaphor, tell us about ourselves. Let's look now at what it tells us about Jesus. We could argue now if he is actually the I Am, if he is the Messiah, God incarnate, the one that God has sent to be the king and the true shepherd of all of the earth, then He has the right to be the good shepherd, right? He has the right to demand that we come into his pasture and not another pasture. But that's not the tact that Jesus takes here. Listen to what Jesus says. What's his rationale? He says, verse 3, The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. That's the reason that you follow Jesus. John Stott, who is a a famous British theologian and pastor, and is someone that if you are a new Christian, if you are a young Christian, he's someone to get to know. We've got one of his books on the table. He is a great entryway into what does it mean to follow and know Jesus. But he tells the story in commenting on this passage of being a part of a tour group and visiting the Middle East. And they had seen what Jesus is talking about uh, d- how the, the type of shepherd that he is describing, the shepherd that's out in front of his sheep and the sheep are following along behind him. That's very different than what we would expect. And so they saw that and then they're on the bus and they look out in this field and there's another group of sheep, but this shepherd is behind the sheep and he's driving them into this pen with, with a whip. And he is getting them into this one enclosure. And someone on the tour bus raises their hand and says, now wait a minute, we've seen all these other shepherds that are leading the sheep where they're going. But this shepherd is driving the sheep and he's, he's hurting them, right? Like, like we would in the West, you, you use corporal punishment to get someone to do something, or get, a, get an animal to do something. And he said, well, wait a minute, that's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. The butcher is driving the sheep. He doesn't care about having a relationship with the sheep. He doesn't care about hurting the sheep. He doesn't care about knowing the names of the sheep. He just wants them to get into the pen so he can slaughter them. He's the butcher, not the shepherd. The shepherd walks in front of the sheep. The shepherd defends the sheep. The shepherd walks into danger and walks under rocky ground first in front of the sheep. He knows them by name, Jesus says. Now, knowing someone by name conveys that you value them. How many times have you encountered someone either at a, a place of business or in a, at school or whatever, and, and you don't expect them to know your name, and then they do, and you're like, wow, this person cares about me. This person thought enough of me to remember my name. We were at a, a restaurant just last night, And it's a new place in our neighborhood. And we had gone about a week and a half ago or a week ago with all four of our kids. And we walked in and met him, and we exchanged names and talked to him for a minute. And so then we went again last night, and we kind of threw him a curveball because we only had two of our kids. And we walked up expecting to have to go through this whole exchange again. And he said, oh, hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. How are you guys doing? And we were just blown away. We were like, this is our restaurant for life, right? (laughs) Because... This owner has taken time to remember our names a week later. We met him on the grand opening, and now he remembers our names. It made us feel special. Now, when Jesus says this, that I know you by name, again, he's picking up on much more, a much bigger, deeper image from Scripture. That is, that knowing in the Bible conveys intimacy. It conveys a deep personal knowledge, and it conveys a personal commitment. It's much more comprehensive for a shepherd to say, I know your name. For God to say, I know your name, means that he knows everything about you. He sees the dirty laundry. He sees the false shepherds that are ruling you from time to time. He sees your sin. He sees your shame. He sees your anxiety. He sees your ugliness. Now, on one hand, That's very comforting that God knows us, knows our name, that he's intimate with us. But on the other hand, it's very, very frightening, right, that God can see into the very depths of your soul. It's something that we really want. We want to be known. We want for someone to really know us. But on the other hand, it makes us very scared. It makes us anxious. Because why? We've become accustomed to relationships that are far more similar to the thief and the robber, and the hired hands than we are to a relationship with Jesus. We've been discarded. We've been rejected when someone that we're in relationship with finds out something about us that they don't like, because we've been leased relationally. They've been leasing us for what we can provide to them, and when we no longer provide that commodity any longer, then we're discarded. We're cut off, and if we're we're honest, we've probably done that to other people as well. That's how we have treated others. But this verse says Jesus knows your name and doesn't discard you. He knows everything about you and doesn't reject you. He embraces not just the good things about you, but all of you, your whole person. He says, why? Why is this the case? Not only does he know your name, he says the sheep belong to him. The sheep are his. Now, you may may have seen a, a recent ad for a car line that is offering the the free maintenance, right? You lease a car from us and for 36, 48 months, you come in, we'll do all of the maintenance that your car needs. It's very appealing, but it started with high-end car companies like BMW and Mercedes that began to offer this because what was happening is that cars were coming off of lease, almost ruined. This someone would go and lease a car for 36 to 48 months, and then 3,000 miles into it, they'd go to the dealer or go to wherever, and it would be $150 because when you buy a high-end car, you don't put, like, your, your normal Walmart Motorola in it. You have to buy the synthetic, and you have to do this scheduled maintenance. And what was happening is they said, well, look, this isn't my car. I'm going to turn it in in a couple of years anyway. If I drive it into the ground, they'll just fix it. It's their problem. So they would have cars that were turned in, driven for 48,000 miles with maybe one or two oil changes. And so not knowing this, they would then repackage the car, factory certify it, and give it to someone else, and it would be a total lemon. (laughs) It would be smoking, and it would come back, and they'd have to replace the whole engine. And so they began to offer this service. You lease from us, and we'll do the service for you. And that way they could sell the cars again. Now, (laughs) when I was looking this up, You also, if you go on the internet, onto the Google, you can look up, um, search for last day of lease, and you have these people that are doing horrible, horrible things to their cars just before they go turn it in to the dealer, you know, putting the brakes on and flooring it at the same time, and you've got this huge smoke screen. Why? Because they have no vested interest in the car they're just going to run it into the ground because it's not my problem. I don't own the car. The dealership owns the car. I'm just going to turn it back in. What Jesus says is not simply, do I know you, but you are mine. You belong to me. You may be a sheep, but you're my sheep. And what we need to get used to as Jesus' sheep, what we need to get used to if we're going to begin following Jesus is that what brings us close to him, what appeals to him, what endears us to him, is not our piety, it's not our strength, it's not all of the achievements that we have done. It's our neediness, it's our vulnerability, it's our sheepiness. It's that we're helpless, and we come to the shepherd and say, guard me, protect me, help me. That's what's endearing to Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to get used to saying, I'm helpless, I'm a sheep. He knows everything about you but will never discard you because you are his beloved, rescued, and treasured possession. That's what it means to be in relationship with the good shepherd, the shepherd that tends to his sheep and will never leave them vulnerable. And then there's one more metaphor the door or the gate. Now he said that he's the shepherd that goes through the gate rather than over, and over the wall. But in verse 7, he says, I am the gate. What's going on here? Is Jesus confused? Is he mixing up his metaphors? Is he talking too fast? How can he be the gate and the shepherd that goes through the gate? Um, a researcher who was doing research in the Middle East came upon a shepherd, an Arab shepherd, and began talking with this gentleman. And he was very proud of his sheep pen. And he said, look over there. There's the sheep pen. That's where they go to sleep at night, and and therefore they're safe. They're in the confines of the sheep pen. And this scholar, this researcher said, but wait a minute. There's there's a door there that doesn't have a gate on it. It doesn't have a door. It's just an opening. How could they possibly be safe there? And the shepherd said, well, I'm the gate. I'm the door to the sheep pen. Because at night, when I put the sheep in there, I lay down at that entryway. I lay down, and then the sheep will not go over me to get outside where, di- where there's danger. They stay in, and the wolf who wants to eat them has to come over me first, and that's not going to happen either. You see, I'm the gate. I'm the one that allows them into the sheep pen. I'm the one that invites them in, that brings them in, but I'm also the one that is the gate, that protects them, that keeps them from being vulnerable to outside attack. Jesus mixes up his imagery on purpose, He's the shepherd who walks through the gate, who guides you home, who guides you into a safe place, but he's also the gate that keeps things at bay. And whether or not the sheep are kept safe, the very body, the work of Jesus is what makes the difference. You go through him to get, through, get to safety, and everything must go through him to get to you. We've had lots of talk recently about gates and security lines, especially at airports, TSA body scans and pat-downs, and what are we willing to go through for safety? What are we willing to give up in order to feel safe, to have a perceived sense of safety? And here Jesus is saying everything. You give up everything to come to me. You can't choose another gate. Though you may think that you have a less cumbersome way to get to your departure gate, though you may think that you have an easier way, a quicker way, a a less circuitous way, you still have to go through the security line. You still have to go through me to get to your departure gate. You still have to go through me. You may believe that you can find a shepherd through other doorways, through other gates, but he says, I am the door. I am the gate. There is no other gate. There is no other door to come into the sheep pen. It is only through Jesus. I have to give up my life, my control, my future? Jesus says, yes, you can only come to me through the way that I appoint. But he says that you're only giving up a perception of control. Not real control. You're only giving up a perception of control. Remember what we said at the beginning. We may bristle at the idea of giving up control, giving over our lives to someone else. But in reality, most of us already have. We already have. We have codependent relationships. We have addictions. We have possessions that own us. We have our image, our external veneer that we try to maintain. We are not independent people. We have given up our control in various ways to various things to various people. We are sheep. Before we come to Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is saying, You already are a sheep, but you're a, sh- a sheep to things that want to manipulate you and will pound you and drive you into, gr- into the ground. It's not an issue of not being a sheep, it's being ruled, not being under rule. It's being ruled by the right kind of shepherd, being ruled by the good shepherd. True freedom doesn't come from self rule because that's a complete illusion but being under rule, being under the right kind of control. And what is this type of life, this type of control? Jesus calls it life abundant. That there, We have to submit to get freedom. We have to obey to get liberty. We have to bow ourselves to Jesus in order to get protection and safety and everything that we've been looking for in all of these other shepherds that have left us hanging that have left us vulnerable. Jesus says, come to me. I am the good shepherd. I am the reality that all of those other shepherds point to and what you're looking for them in. He says the good shepherd, and here's the distinguishing part. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Life abundant comes from understanding that, that you got into the sheep pen, not because you were a better sheep. You got into the sheep pen because you had a good shepherd that said, come in. By my body, by my work, come in and experience safety, experience security like you've never had it before. Experience nearness to me because I'm the one that lays at the door. I'm the one that will lay down my life for you. Unlike the hired hand who makes big promises and then leaves, unlike the thief who only wants to control you and manipulate you, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm not bringing you in because you have something to offer me. But I will guard and protect you and lead you to abundant life, even if it costs me everything. I lay down my life so you can have it to the full. That's the ideal leader. That's the ideal king. That's the ideal ruler is the one who will give up his life so that you can have it to the full. Come and take hold of Jesus as the good shepherd. Take hold of his offer. Come into his sheep pen. He is the door. He is the gate. Take hold of him this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you do not leave us vulnerable. You do not leave us by the wayside. That even when painful things come into our lives, we know that you are still the good shepherd, and they have come through you first. Lord, would you... Let us understand more how you are the good, abiding, loving shepherd. And would you let us begin to experience that abundant life? Father, if we're here looking in from the outside, would you let us encounter you in a new way, in a fresh way, in a surprising way this morning, and let us take hold of you, the good shepherd. Amen.